welcome once again, my friends, to the Irish in Sweden podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor, coming to you from the Swedish capital of Stockholm, where I've lived for the guts of 25 years. Jesus, like there was never a Christmas break at all, lads. We're all straight back into work and school and dropping the kids here and bringing them there and going training with the Gales and with uh, Yavla GAA and all sorts of things going on already. Great to see everybody back and settled in. And uh, as I say, all sorts of things are happening already. I know that the Nordic GAA committee is discussing its calendar for the year. It looks like there's going to be a couple of football tournaments getting on. Uh, Michelle Cotter, the new chairperson of Stockholm Gales, she's back in Sweden as well. Great plans for the hurling and for the camogie this year. And a round of the European camogie championship is coming to Stockholm in June, if I remember rightly. So we're flying out of traps altogether. You remember last week that I was asking for uh, volunteers for a director for Spuds and Sill here in Stockholm. That's the local English language amateur drama group. And they were looking for a director for a play that they're going to put on. Uh, and they have found one. And that is Grace O'Malley, the wonderful Grace O'Malley, who is a very well-trained and well-educated writer, actor, director, all of the above. Fantastic, extremely creative and intelligent person altogether. And I'm not just saying that because she reached out a hand to me and asked me if I might want to play one of the parts. Of it. No, 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 Jesus, no, lads. I would have been saying those things about her anyway. But there is going to be auditions on the 22nd, Monday the 22nd of January here in Stockholm for the various different parts. The play, I believe, is called Canaries. So if you want to get in touch with Spuds and Sill, I'm sure Grace would love to send you a copy of the script, tell her a little bit about yourself, if you've any experience of doing these things, and I'm sure she'd be more than willing to consider you for a part in it. Uh, it's something that's there for everybody. Uh, they run very, very closely together with the Swedish Irish Society. So it's... um. The productions I've seen in the past have just been great crack. They're just like incredible performances, but even more than that, it's the, the rehearsals and the people behind it and getting the whole show together and that. And as I say, Grace is a tremendously experienced person to have at the helm, which is wonderful altogether. So get in touch with Spuds and Seal. You'll find them on Facebook and you will find them on Instagram. You'll find them a little bit all over the place there and get in touch and have a read of the script. And who knows, you might be up for whatever the theatre awards are called in this country. Isn't amazing? I don't know. That tells you about, about how much theatre I go and see in this country lads um, this week we're spreading our wings just a little bit right so I had a kind of a busy time there over the, so the last days of Christmas uh, just as we were coming up to what they call Threat on Hellion there around the 6th of January there and I've recorded a, bun- a bunch of interviews which I'm bringing you now as we go along next week we're going to be talking to Alan Dalton Alan you'll remember that we spoke uh, to him before about birding and hunting and fishing and all sorts of things in Sweden and he has launched his own podcast on the subject of bird song and bird watching and that and it's fascinating right now i think i may have mentioned it last week but i'm going to mention it again right Uh, it's absolutely ideal it's extremely relaxing so get out there and have a listen to it there's all sorts of recordings that he has made and that kind of thing you know around various places in sweden from the very very north uh, to the very very south right Uh, the podcast is called wild bird sorry wild bird acoustics and it's up to episode four now, which will be out, I think, at some point in this week, right? And there's loads of great stuff in there, just birds. And what really gets me, as I think I said before, and I've said it before about Alan many times, it's just a tremendous learning experience to sit down and talk to somebody that interested in some a subject like that and who knows you know, an incredible amount about it. That is coming up next week. For this week, what we're doing is we're traveling up to Hueleftio, of all places. And this is one of those interactions that I saw on LinkedIn. 
Uh, I was very surprised to discover that above in the sort of you know the northern regions of uh, of Sweden, around Kolefteå and north of there, right up around Umeå and Kiruna and that kind of thing, there's actually a newspaper that is dedicated. It's called Nordan, and it's a local newspaper that's sort of dedicated to these vast geographical areas in the north. But they actually had an English language uh, page or set of pages, and they were doing English language journalism. And that's you know I'm involved in journalism. I've never heard of this, like you know. So then I saw that it was being run by somebody called Paul Connolly, and I thought, yep, yeah, there has to be an Irish connection there and sure enough there is. Paul Connolly was born in London to Irish parents and ended up here in Sweden and I thought I have to get in touch with him because as we well know from the sites above in Lulio or the sites that were above in Lulio until recently and in Yavla and in Vesteros and that kind of thing there's a load of things going on there's a load of big interesting Swedish companies out there there's a load of big Irish companies who are working with said Swedish companies to build everything from data centres to battery factories right and I was very very curious to find out what life is like in these I mean I'm not going to call them small towns lads because some of them have 60 or 70 thousand people but the climate is different and you know the setup of society is different so I thought I'd get Paul on to have a little chat about this and to be honest I was extremely surprised with what he had to say because most of the time when you talk to people in small towns and villages around Sweden they'll tell you that you know it's a, it's a, a sort of a slow decline that you know that these places these small sort of two horse one horse towns are sort of dying out before they rise not so in the north of the country lads so great to be here in January with an episode of the Irish and Sweden podcast with a positive spin on what is going on in the north of the country. Listen to this, lads, and see if you don't want to move there by the end of it. Here he is, Paul Connolly from Norran on Life in Northern Sweden. Connolly, as we speak, thank you very much indeed, by the way, for joining the Irish in Sweden podcast. But I believe it's a bit nippy up around Kolefteå where you are today, is it? Yeah, it's um, minus 36. Um, M- minus 36. How does that feel? I assume you've been out there jogging in your shorts this morning, have you? I've got to have been sunbathing. Uh, it's, <laughs> it feels very, very, very cold. It's um, we're, we're used to, you know, anything up to minus 20, and that's fine. And because it's very dry up here. Mm. It doesn't feel as cold, honestly, as it as it would do in I don't know Colomara at plus five. It doesn't feel that cold, yeah, because it's a much drier atmosphere up here. But minus thirty six is just, you know, your phone doesn't work, your your eye eyelashes freeze up. Um, Presu- presumably, you don't work either, do you? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, we're we're having problems with our heating at the moment as well, so that makes it even better. R- rough um, hour going um you know, that sparks the obvious question paul how on earth did you wind up in a place that can uh, get down as low as minus 36 or whatever it is in Coleftio? because you're originally your family was originally from galway but you were born in london is that right yeah that's right yeah my mum and dad um one was from the so-called posh east of galway and the other one from the rough and ready rough and ready Connemara. um they left ireland in the early 50s and returned in 86 my father talks endlessly about going home, but my mother really did. I think she liked living in England because she had lots of friends. Yeah. Um, my dad didn't have any. He, you know, he was a family. He was a clan member. Mm. They didn't believe in friends. They believed in clans. Certainly yeah. where they could. So um, I worked at, um, both me and my girlfriend Donna worked at newspapers. We met at the Times in London. And we used to go on road trips across America to kind of decompress and one year, 
10, 12 years ago, my girlfriend had a really bad accident and nearly died there. She, she was in hospital in Montana for about eight weeks. And when we got back home, we thought, well, this life's a bit too short for this. We want to have kids. We're working too hard. Let's do something different. So we took a road trip to Scandinavia and ended up on a frozen lake, um, gazing at the northern lights and thought, oh, it'd be quite nice to live here, wouldn't it? Um, we, checked, we checked the house prices and we thought oh, it's going to be Sweden, it's going to be really expensive. And we thought well, we must be missing a zero off because they were just so ridiculously cheap. Yeah. And, and Donna had no connection to Sweden. You had no connection no, to Sweden. None at all. Just a, as it turned out, a happy accident, but it was totally random. Hmm. That's that's quite unusual, Paul, because most people who wind up over here are sort of love refugees. You know, they meet the wrong person or the right person, as the case may be, <laughs> in a pub in London or in Dublin or somewhere like that, and they end up over here. Um, how how easy was it for you to settle in Sweden then? Because you didn't really have, you know, a network of in-laws or people who knew the system or how you get your special number or how you buy wine on a Friday or that kind of thing. Did you find it difficult to get going here in Sweden? Yeah, well, there was an added complication in that... Um... Donna got pregnant with twins after three months. Well done. So that really did put the cat amongst the pigeons, I have to say. Um, she had the twins here and she didn't have any of her family here. So I think she in particular had a hard time. Um, and we also we also found it hard to become part of society here because we live out in the middle of nowhere for a start. And also the Swedes weren't used to you know, English speakers. They really weren't. You know, they just didn't know very many here. Um, and that kind of gave us an idea in the long term to publish a magazine called Norland Living, which was an English language guide to life up here. Mm. And then that eventually led to um, me being employed uh, for uh, a local newspaper up here to run their English um, section. Mm. How, like, when we think about where you live, right, because we often hear with the Swedish Irish Society, some people outside the city, uh, outside the capital, they call it the Stockholm Irish Society because everything happens here. Most of the people live here or they live in Yavlo, where a lot of the Irish work on building sites. How many people, you know, how many fellow English speakers or Irish people would you bump into in Cholefteo in the course of doing your shopping? Um, English speakers, a lot now. Um, we, we, we get like 2,000 a year at the moment who are almost all non-Swedes mm. but very few Irish people so far I think I know one uh, maybe two um, and I'm not even sure they're still here anymore yeah. it, is, it is a strange one I kind of thought there would be more Irish here and more Irish would move here mm. but hardly any I have to admit mm. if I started an Irish society here I'd, I'd be talking to myself I think yeah, could be one of the shortest St. Patrick's Day parades in the world when you organise one of Colleftio up there. Tell me about the outlet you worked for, because I have to say, I was fascinated, right? I know the fact that there's an awful lot of English-speaking people or people coming from outside of Sweden to work in places like Luleå and that kind of thing, but I never realised that there would be enough to support English-language news being produced on a daily and weekly basis the way you do. So could you explain just a little bit about who you work for and the work you do for them? Well, Noran is, in Swedish, it translates to the north. It's the biggest regional newspaper up here, um, based in Sheleftio, but covers quite a lot, covers south and covers down to Umeå, up to Pitio, way inland. Um, and Sheleftio is, is, the, is the hub of the so-called green transition, where you know, we have sustainable industries moving here. And the first one to move here was North the Northolt Battery Factory, who make yeah. electric batteries for cars. Um, 
so Sir FGO has immediately become sort of the, the, the focal point for all this activity, and there's a lot of activity. And obviously, there's there's companies moving to Lulio, Budin, uh, Yelavara, Kirna. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're kind of the start of it. And I think the newspaper, uh, in general, they want they're kind of I lost the word. They're actually they have they believe that the democracy is important, and they don't want people left out, and they want people to feel included. Um, and that was the idea behind Noran English. Um, yeah, it was. It, they need people to feel included. They need to help them integrate quickly, provide a shortcut into society, and also, kind of, really importantly, up here, um, get them to set down roots and stay here for good. And making them feel welcome is very important to that. Because it's- don't forget, they're looking for about one hundred and twenty thousand people to move up here in the next ten years. Um, this is the thing. I was up in the uh, commune Husit, like, so the local municipality headquarters there a couple of years ago. And as far as I know, it was all built very sustainably, a lot of wood, a lot of glass, a lot of that kind of thing, an amazing building altogether. And they told me this and they were saying, OK, we're going to need over 100,000 people to move here. I was going, that best of luck, lads, because there's not a whole lot going on up here. So what are they doing to attract them other than having employers like Northvolt and that kind of thing in the region? What is Coleftio doing to bring people up there, Paul? Well, they built the Sarah Culture House, which is the biggest um, wooden building in Sweden, certainly the tallest. Um, so they've actually brought some decent people here. Um, they're working hard to improve cultural activities, but also Schleftio isn't. I don't know how people see it. I kind of think people see it as a one-horse town, but it's not. It's you know, it's seventy seventy odd thousand people, mm. and it's, it's got. It was very quiet when we moved here, but in the last 10 years, there's a lot of new restaurants, not only clubs, there's not new pubs. Um, Sarah Culture House is a big attraction because it's it has you know six, seven stages. Um, they put some decent bands up here in the last the last the last few months and they're working hard. Yeah. Um, in terms of the quality of life there, Paul, apart from the fact that it's absolutely freezing there today, right? Uh, uh, presumably the summers are very kind to you. There's good weather, there's long nights and that kind of thing. How do you find life, and in particular family life, in that part of Sweden? Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, you, you know we, we, we all know about cheap childcare. And that's obviously obviously a big part of the fact that, you know, people are you know encouraged to use it. Um, but Life up here, I, I love it because it's four really distinct seasons for a start. You get a proper summer, which is, you know, three months. And we get up to plus 35 up here sometimes. Um, we get at least a, a good six to eight weeks of being able to. We got, a, we got a lake at the bottom of our garden. And the kids can go and swim in it from about the end of May, beginning of June onwards until the end of August. Um it's, Do you mind me asking, Paul, a house with a lake at the bottom of the garden, what could you uh, expect to pay for such a fine residence? I'm not asking you a personal question now, so you may couch that as you will for Scott the Market, but is it really expensive to live in a place like that? No, it's, it costs about forty to 50,000 euros, I'd say. Why don't we all live there, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just different up here. Norland people don't believe in property as an investment. They believe in it as a place to live. Um, they don't get people talking about property prices. We, 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 you know, when we first moved here, we did the normal thing. We went to dinner parties, we talked about property prices, but their eyes just glazed over. And they'd say, well, it's just a house to live in. I know people 
who've sold their house for the same price they bought bought, bought it for 10, 10 years previously. Um, it just isn't that view of property as an investment, prop, you know, houses are to live in. And that is changing slightly, you know, as you get more people moving in. Mm. But still, if you move 20 minutes out of town, you're going to get a fantastic house for, well, kind of little money, really. Peanuts kind of thing, yeah. I was looking at um, there's apartments about two hours outside of Stockholm in a small town, and they're like you know a hundred thousand crowns, which just sounds absolutely ridiculous. And then a couple of thousand a month as your your yeah. fees and that kind of thing. You go, how is this even possible? You know, and um, in terms of what you do, Paul, because obviously you've I was just looking at your CV. There's an incredible background at, at Reuters and at the Times of London and that kind of thing. And um, what kind of stuff are you reporting on now? What does it look like? Do you have a lot of freedom to choose what you want to report on for Nordan? Uh, yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, I've got, I translate two or three stories a day from the local, from the local feed. And, and it's up to me really to um, bring up stories of my own. Uh, it's about four or five of those a week if I can. Um, it's, often there's not the opportunity to do so because there's just not enough time. But I'm giving pretty much total freedom um, because I know what newcomers want because I'm, you know, because I am a newcomer, <laughs> and I know the the you know, the the struggles that we went through when we first moved here, and what would have helped us then. Um, so I've got insights into that, and that's kind of an important aspect, I think. And also, there aren't many English speaking journalists up here. <laughs> In a minority of one or two between yourself and Donna, yeah, <laughs> pretty much, yeah, yeah. And does Donna work with the same uh, newspaper? Because you mentioned that she's a journalist as well, isn't she? Yeah, she does. She she she's a photographer for them, um, and she also does photography generally, sort of corporate photography, family photography. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you compare your life in London, and I mean, it sounds very romantic, and the road trips around the states and that kind of thing, you know, but life must be a whole lot different now. Do you prefer this to the existence that you had in London? Do you regret the fact that maybe you're not in a sort of a high paid job at at the Times or somewhere else now, or is that? A price you're willing to pay for the lifestyle that you have in Khalefio? I think it's a price definitely willing to pay. Um, I think London was brilliant to, you know, I, we lived, I lived there till I was 45. Um, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a Londoner born and bred. Um, but I think at some stage of your life, you need to slow things down a bit. And we were working like, you know, the newspapers when we, when we were still there were contracting very fast because of the internet. Mm. Um, and we were working 13, 14 hour days and th that just was not sustainable. And we wanted kids and Sweden is the best place to have kids that I've ever come across. And I've done a lot of reading and I know it's a great place to have children. They they regard children as, you know, as proper human beings here. Mm. And I'm sure that happens in many other countries. Sure enough. Um, when you look at the kind of people that have been moving there, because obviously you'll have seen a big change of Kuleftio with the building of the Sara Kultur Huset and this kind of thing, right? Um, you will have seen an influx of people coming from outside like yourselves. What kind of jobs are available to them there? What kind of people can, can establish a life the way you have done in Kuleftio? Because I can't imagine there's room for too many more English-speaking journalists, but there are, you know, engineers and that kind of thing, I assume. Yeah, I mean, the jobs are... The jobs are it's really, you can't really nail it down, but they're looking for engineers, they're looking for truck drivers, they're looking for teachers, they're looking for doctors, they're looking for nurses, they're looking for electricians. It just goes on. We don't have enough people up here to do the jobs. Um, 
essentially. Um, that also means that the salaries are quite decent because you know they're trying to attract people here. Um, how easy is it? Let's say you decide, okay, is there accommodation up there for people? If I was to say, right, well, I fancy going up there and competing with Paul Connolly and Donna for, for their work, you know, could I get an apartment downtown in the morning for a reasonable and a halfway decent job? Or does it take, like everywhere else in Sweden, does it take three or four months to get your feet under the table? It's easier here because the demand is, is, is greater uh, and the need is greater for people. Um, so... Um, well, certainly when I first moved here, the, the local commune were pretty inflexible and pretty slow and intransigent. Um, but now they've improved a lot and things are much easier to do. And because they need people, they're finding shortcuts. And um, I mean, shortcuts up here before were just <laughs> never heard of. But now they're being much more flexible and, and they're even employing English-speaking people in the commune, which is quite a remarkable thing. Mm. Is that because the influx is, is sort of creating a need for other English speakers? Is it, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, the international English schools are here and how English is, is not replacing the Swedish language, but it's certainly competing with it. And it's becoming a sort of a lingua franca. It's becoming something that's used every day. Does that open up then for even more English speakers or people who speak English to be able to come to places like that and settle in much easier? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so much easier now. We have this. They they built a big sort of uh, development of apartments in a somewhere just north of Shalevtia, and within two weeks they'd filled all two hundred, and about eighty five percent of those were English speakers. Well, wow. um, <laughs> where would those people be from, Paul? Would they be Americans, English, Irish, African? Yeah, all of that really. I mean, there's, uh, there's Brazilians, Australians. Because um, I interview at least one every couple of weeks for a newspaper, and Pakistan, India, um, Americans. It's just, it's a huge, huge broad scope. There's something like ridiculous, like 135 nationalities here now. It's incredible. It's fantastic to see you as well. Is that influx of people from different places changing the culture? Is cricket a big thing in Khaleftio now as it is in parts of Stockholm? Well, it's funny you should say that, but I'm actually a trained umpire, and they're they're um. It must be an extremely popular manager in the summer in Sweden. Yeah? Oh yes, they start Northfold are starting a, a cricket um, league Apparently. um next summer. So yeah, that's incredible. How many teams? How many players would you be expecting to get out in that? Oh, I don't know, but there's probably about four or five, I think. Incredible. And these would be. Uh, are, are you getting Swedes to play the game at all? Are they expressing any interest whatsoever yet? I've not detected any much of an uptick in interest from Swedes, no. Yeah. I think they're too busy with ice hockey. Well, between ice hockey and bandy and uh, football and everything else like that. Having said that, though, I do think that when we've seen how rugby has developed in certain parts of Sweden as well, that there is a possibility there. You know, do you find that the commune, uh, the local council, do they take you seriously? Because cricket, obviously, you need a lot of space uh, to play it on. Now, in Kralefteo, that's probably not a problem. You have a lot more space than what you would maybe down here in Stockholm or in Malmö. Uh, do they take it? Do they understand what it is? Do they understand the value of having these people playing sport? Yeah, absolutely. They're uh, they're going to they help building a pitch, uh, a cricket pitch, and the support from the community on uh, lots of different um, levels has been brilliant. Um, as I said, when we first moved here, they weren't so forward thinking, but now they are because they have to be. Yeah, um, 
so they're very flexible and stuff like that and they're very interested to hear what people, newcomers want to do and what sports they want to play and we have quite a large Indian and Pakistani contingent contingent here who are very keen cricketers yeah I remember meeting a, a couple of Afghan lads who come here in 2015, 2016, and they said that they thought they'd never see or play cricket again. And near where I live on the north side of Stockholm, there's a cricket pitch. There's basically, <laughs> we actually trained, we used to play Gaelic football at one time, but now it's been taken over entirely uh, by the cricket players of the country. And the interesting thing for me, Paul, and I don't know how much you talk to people locally, right? We've we've seen the, the rise of, you know, far-right parties and we see the moderates and that kind of thing giving out about immigration and controlling it more and you know trying to raise the minimum wages and this kind of stuff that's needed to immigrate and yet there seems to be a huge need for that how do those two things dovetail that kind of politics and the future for a place like Kuleftio that's, that's saying yeah we need these people to come here um it doesn't dovetail at all it's it's horrendous um it doesn't I mean I've written quite a lot about this I get quite cross about it um, they expect the green transition to to happen because they want them. Yeah, they they need they need it to work because they need the energy down south. Mm. Um, but it's not going to happen if this these ridiculous um, salary um, levels have been set. And I just don't really understand how they think that can work. Uh, Peter is it Peter Larson is the um, He's the kind of overlord of the northern green industries and how they should develop. He's 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 walking a very tight, rope, very 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 narrow tightrope to try and make this work. Um, and I don't really know what the answer is. To it. I mean, I, I think essentially, I think what happened in Denmark is they tried similar policies and they just caved in after six months to a year or so. And I think that's what's going to happen here. Mm. It, it just doesn't work. I don't suppose any of us wants to live in a place where we don't feel welcome. Um, how do people tend to vote up there? So Swedish citizens go to the polls. Are the Sweden Democrats as popular there as they are in other places? Because the other thing about Norland and the north of the country is that they would have been traditional sort of social democratic strongholds, right? Yeah, they still are. They still are. I mean, the Sweden Democrats got about 12%, I think, last time, which is 12% more than we'd like them to get. Mm. But the... Um, the left parties are still very strong up here, yeah. Um, which is good in a way, but sometimes the social democrats can be a little bit um, inflexible. Uh, and I think they're starting to learn to be a bit more flexible now. Yeah. Um, if, judging from the local politicians up here hmm. who have been doing a really good job, I have to admit, in the last four or five years. But the conversations you have with those people and those politicians, um, what do they say to you about how their their town has changed? Do they embrace that change? Do they enjoy being part of a more international community? Or is there kind of that thing of, yeah, we'd still prefer to just eat our seal on midsummer and be left alone kind of thing? <laughs> At first, it was definitely the latter. But, but I've seen, as I said, for the last four or five years, I've noticed a real appetite for change. And a real appetite for getting new people in, and they understand now that they need to. You know, there's no, um, there's, there's, there can be no controversy about us needing more people up here. And the ones I've spoken to have been very enthusiastic, and and they're willing to try different things to make. You know, to prove, for instance, Norfolk has been complaining about a lack of housing um, mm. since the recession started. Um, building companies have have not been pulling their way up here so the commune the commune's um building company said right we'll take it we'll take over we'll start it we'll do it all um and that three three or four years ago would never have happened yeah 
um, they they are they, they, there's a real drive there, and it's it's really quite impressive. And and they're very responsive then to the likes of Northvolt, which is obviously a major employer and a great a great brand for for attracting people to places like Coleftio. Uh, is that experience that you're living in now, is that replicated in Lulio, in Piteo, in Umeå? Umeå, of course, with a great university there. Kiruna is a famous mining town. Uh, Lulio, I think they've been building data centres. There's been loads of Irish people up there working on data centres. So are they looking at what you're doing in Coleftio and sort of using that as a template for, for the rebirth, if you like, of other places in northern sweden yeah they are um there's a lot of interest from Lulio, especially because i think they're going to be the next in line with, with the green steel mm. um and they are taking that they're taking notes but they're also i mean to be fair to them they're being a bit more adventurous with how they're approaching things like housing they're you know they're uh, taking inventories of all empty rural properties and Ooh. trying to in, in, encourage the people that own them to sell them which i think is a great idea it's something i've been trying to get our commune to do um because there's probably thousands of houses here that are derelict and need to be you know sold very cheaply and get people moving in because that helps the local villages as well because the villages were dying for a long time up here they're no longer dying but there are still some further inland that could do with a bit of help but the northern Further northern communes have definitely been a little bit more adventurous with on, on, on that case, on that mm-hmm. score. They are, Schleftio is the template. Yeah. Um, it kind of sounds in one way as well, like they don't have a choice, you know. Is there anything that would get you to move to anywhere else in Sweden? Or have you found the place where you feel you belong? Um, I don't think there's anything that could make me move, to be honest. Um, no. It's that it's simple there. It really is very simple. How does that work then with the fact that yourself and Donna were kind of circling back to where we began here? You you didn't have roots here to begin with. You know, if your family comes to visit, do they come to visit you? Do you find it easy to go to, to London or wherever you need to go to, to visit family? Or do you sort of stay contentedly uh, indoors in minus 36 up there these days? <laughs> uh, well, three or four years after we moved here, Donna's sister and family moved here as well. Um, it was that good that you just started to import all your relatives, was it? Yeah, it was great. I mean, to, to be honest, um, the first time they saw where we lived, um, the, the the air was full of swear words. <laughs> Holy shit, what's going on here? <laughs> you, you paid how much for this? It's beautiful. Um, and they moved over about two, three years after that. So we've got half Donna's family here. My family is much more scattered. Um, but... Um, Sorry, I forgot the question. No, I was just asking if anything will get you to move from there. Is there anything you feel maybe that's lacking up there? Might be another question for you. Um, no, not for us anyway. I've got to be honest. Um, I think yeah, we get slightly bothered by the education system, um, but that I think is a sort of sort of Swedish issue rather than yeah I, I don't think you're alone in that there's a lot of people who will be giving out about that and that's something we'll be covering on this podcast now in the spring if well, somebody's listening to this Paul and they're down below in Stockholm and they're living in a shoebox and they're paying 15,000 crowns a month for it and they decide right Paul Conley has inspired me we're all moving to Coleftio how should they best go about doing so do you think um, they should check out some of the stories I've written online about we've got a story um, about the 10 most sought after um, types of um, people um, and all the, the 10 most important jobs um, 
but I kind of think that with pretty much whatever skill you have up here, or whatever skill you have in Stockholm, we need it up here. Um, it's that simple. Just every sort of a job is is necessary. You're like looking for people for everything up there. Yeah, they they mean they really are. It's um, except English journalists don't come up here for an English journalist. You just don't like me. It's that simple. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, but but in terms of if they go to is what's the the Noran website where they can find your work? Where can people read the stories that you've written about this? Um, Noran.se forward slash English. Um, and also, if you go to Noran.e Noran.se, um, there's a tab on the top left, which is the English coverage. Um, not that you have to reveal any any numbers of that. Like, is there a lot of people reading the things that you do? Is there a lot of people from outside Coleftio reading what you're doing, expressing an interest maybe in moving there because of it? Yeah, there's been it's been it's been a few. I, I wrote a story in um, in the autumn about the horrors of Swedish pizza, and that got something ridiculous like. <laughs> I think that's still one of my most viewed tweets is when I put a banana curry pizza up on New Year's Day a couple of years ago. And the the, the absolute horror that that was met in Italy and, and around the globe or something oh. else. But that's one of your more popular ones, is it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because the, the local Swedes are actually big readers of it as well. I think they quite like to get a feeling for how other people think of them. Yeah. And that always, they always tend to do quite well. But I mean, anything that's, you know, anything that's big news, for Swedes or for you know English speaking people in their their own countries is is, is you know is popular here. Mm. So how, how do you make those decisions? Right, you mentioned earlier on that you take two or three stories every day, you translate them, and you, and you write them for for an English speaking audience. Is that based on your own sort of you know um, your own sense or your own news sense, if you like, is what journalists are supposed to have, or do you sort of say right, well, I have to have one lifestyle one, and I have to have one what Reuters used to call oddly enough story or that kind of thing, you know, or is it just okay, whatever happens to be there in the day? Um. It's whatever's I think is most interesting, and it tends. It, well, yeah, if it, if it's a story about Northvolt, that will be a big story. I know I always like Northvolt stories are, are well read, um, but generally it's I kind of it's a slightly different mindset to how the locals work, um, because I know, for instance, that my readers would not be interested in the goings on of the local council meeting, um, whereas in, in, on the Swedish side, the, the, those stories are quite popular hmm. but it's things that affect people. you know new restaurants people want to know whether new restaurants is opening um anything about schools is 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 well read um but anything about swedish pizzas is probably the best read <laughs> i can write at least one of those articles every week oh well, really good Exactly. No, no, peanuts and banana and curry. Like, I think there's actually a book in that. That might be the first book that you end up writing up up there. Paul, it's yeah. been fascinating talking to you and uh, we'll stay in touch with you because uh, hopefully after this now you will see an influx of Irish people turning up up there and you might even find a cricketer or two among them. But for now, Paul Connolly, thanks so much for speaking to me. Yeah, cheers, mate. Bye. There you go. That was the wonderful Paul Connolly above there in Chaleftio. Uh, really enjoyed speaking to Paul. Absolutely amazed by a couple of things. One was the property prices and the second really was the situation for jobs and the fact that Paul was saying, look, it doesn't matter what qualifications you have, what kind of work you want to do. There's somebody here who's going to want you to do it for them, which I found absolutely magnificent. So if you're sitting on a big uh, apartment in Ustamal there, you can always sell that, right? 
pocket all the cash, lads, and head up to somewhere like Coleftio and buy yourself a house for €100,000 or whatever and just live out the rest of your days uh, on Sill and Connect uh, and all that kind of thing. It sounds like a marvellous existence altogether up there. And, of course, you have the sport and ice hockey and uh, being out on your skis in the in the winter, your cross-country skis and what have you. I wonder, actually, is there anybody in the Irish community this year who's mad enough to do uh, the Vossel Uppet? We've had a few. My own dear lady wife, Maria, she did it last year. And, of course, Team Ireland a few years ago with Carl Lambert and Keith Hearn and Don Curry. And I don't know if Colin Courtney was involved there as well. And, of course, you had Pell Helstadius who was sort of helping them out. But then sort of lost page, just skied off in front of them. So if anybody is getting involved, do let me know. I'd love to talk to you before you're doing Vossel Uppet or any of those big endurance races. I'm also going to be down in Gothenburg uh, next week, right? So I think the 23rd, the Wednesday the 23rd, I'm going to be there. And I'm going to be there on the morning of the 24th before heading back to Stockholm. So if anybody's around, I might see if I can catch up with Kevin Moorehouse or Ian Maloney down there and just have a little bit of a chat with the lads and see how things are going down in Gothenburg now this side of Christmas. If you want to support the podcast, if you have sold that apartment on Ustamam and you're looking for a very sort of tax-efficient way to get rid of the money, give it to me, lads. Patreon.com forward slash Arrowman in Stockholm. Or you can swish a few bob to one two three two four two four one six six. That's one two three two four two four one six six. And we have a WhatsApp group going as well. So if you haven't joined the WhatsApp group, it's basically what they call a WhatsApp community. And under the community is four different groups, right? We have one for events, we have one for sport, we have one for music and culture, and we've one for something else entirely that I have completely forgotten about, right? But there's four groups there. Oh, business is the other one, of course. Uh, So you can join in there. I noticed one of the lads was in there looking for some advice about the Shopify platform. I think it's like a sort of web-based stores and that. And, you know, some connections were made and they took their business offline. And off they went. And it was great. Uh, we're dropping in stuff. As soon as we hear of Irish artists coming to Sweden and that, we're dropping in information about tickets there and that kind of thing. And we're hoping as well that now when we have this community that um, promoters around the place and publishers around the place will share the information with us so that we can share it with you then. So please use that as a place to meet other people and also to let uh, people know what they're doing. I'd have no, no objections whatsoever to the Bell Brian O'Connor or Ian or Brian Burns or anybody else in the music uh, over here dropping in their gigs and that kind of thing so it's not only really for when Hozier comes or for when U2 comes it's also for the local musicians as well let us know where you're playing and that kind of thing you know uh, so as I say patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm swish is one two three two four two four one six six. before we go and this is an important time of the year to be bringing this lads Veerstrom's Pub have been very generous sponsors of this podcast almost from the very beginning Martin Hessian has been throwing in a few bob a few bob to this right why would Martin do that? Well, A, because he thinks I'm a fabulous bloke altogether. And look at I'm not going to argue with it, right? But what I will do is I will pass on the, so the gentle bit of advice to book your tables in Veerstrom's pub for the Six Nations now, okay? Don't wait, lads. Don't be there the week before whatever game is on St. Patrick's Day. Go, oh, Jesus, yeah. Oh, what a good book a table. Do it now, lads. Do it in January. Get in there first, right? Martin will happily book a table, and especially for anybody who listens to this podcast, because he knows that loads of people will be in there drinking Guinness and having a crack and brightening up the establishment. No end, as you always tend to do. So, yeah, get in there and book those tables. There is a trans session that takes place on Mondays. There's a quiz that goes on there. There's live music. There's blues. There's Irish music. There's all sorts of stuff. So get in there. 
And uh, yeah, but a great place to be in this uh, the dark afternoons and evenings when you want to watch rugby or when you want to watch the Premier League. Go down to Martin Hessian in Veerstrom's and tell him I sent you. Big thank you as well to the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden. I'm still sort of working off the buzz that we got out of their wonderful uh, gala dinner and their networking day that was just at the beginning of December there. It really did kickstart the Christmas season for me. It was fantastic. And I'm looking forward to their first events now in the new year because, of course, there will be events now coming up around St. Patrick's Day and that kind of thing as well. So uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast I did around that and the video chats that I put out there I, I sort of took a few of them out there and we put them up on YouTube and they seem to go down very well and it's great to be in a position where you can give people that platform lads you know to, you know, so we can hear about what the people up in Yavla are doing and we can hear about what Kim Hurland is doing with her business and what Jones Engineering are doing not just for their business but for the local community here as well so that's the whole point of the podcast and the more you can get behind it in terms of corporate sponsorship or private sponsorship the, the absolute best that's for the absolute best you know if you can't afford to pay uh, to listen to the podcast, that's grand. The podcasts are always free. doesn't matter if you're listening on Patreon or Spotify or Apple Podcasts. The podcasts are always free, will always be free, right? But that works on the basis that if you do have the few bob, please chuck in the five of the month if you can or swish a few bob to one two three two four two four one six six, And that enables me to be able to do them. If you can't do that, that's grand, right? But please share the podcast. So if you're working with Irish people in the International English School or at Swedbank or wherever you happen to be and say somebody new has just moved over, like, oh, look, at don't take for granted they're going to know about the podcast it's just going to pop up in their feeds lads we'd all love to believe that ai and machine learning and algorithms are going to do all these things for us but they're not right and if you recommend it to people it's a much stronger sort of a vibe like so if you say right this laddie makes this podcast for people every week uh, i think you should have a listen you might hear something on it that interests you uh they have auditions for spuds and sale and all the infos on that deadly that'd be great because that just saves me having to reach out uh through the the tax savings calendar and ring you all up and tell you that there's a new podcast every week you know listen I will let you go for now. As I say, Alan Dalton up next week with a fascinating conversation about burning. Wild Bird Acoustics is the name of his podcast. Irish in Sweden is the name of this podcast. Do like it, do subscribe it, give an old five-star review. Have a listen to The Global Gale there. I had a great chat with Tyg Hickey, the Irish comedian uh, and writer and pal- uh, activist for Palestine last week. So we had a great old chat there. Definitely worth getting that one in your ears. And there'll be a couple of Man and Stockholm podcasts coming up soon as well. So it's all there on the feed. 10 to 12 podcasts at least every month, lads. Listen, I shall talk to you again next week. Until then, look after yourselves look after one another and I'll be back very very soon again on the Irish and Sweden podcast good luck